You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors, and they're talked about by a black author, and you can listen if you are black or not black, that is okay. I just recorded this intro three times, and the first time my voice cracked. So, going through puberty, you've caught a very special episode of the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, A Young Man Goes Through Puberty for the Second Time. Uh, This week on the podcast, I am reading or have read, I am discussing, Invisible Things by the author Matt Johnson. Um, he also wrote Pym. He wrote a nonfiction novella. Um, he wrote Incognito, which is one I've wanted to get my hands on. But it's a graphic novel, and I really don't, I don't dig this graphic novels by um, by Kindle. And I've been in China since 2019, and so it is hard to get physical books, especially with things like graphic novels. But this one is not a graphic novel. Invisible Things. It came out. 2022 uh hasn't been out that long right and uh yeah read it last week and gonna talk about it here so the basic idea of the book and uh if you don't like spoilers just leave now because i can't i'm too tired to figure out what is a spoiler and what isn't i mean you're reading a novel who cares but so the basic premise of the book is that there is some strange force that is transporting people from Mainly America. I was going to say the Earth, but it's really just America. At least that's what it seems like in the book. And uh, I'll get to that in a moment. But transporting them from, let's just say the Earth, to a moon on uh, a Jupiter, one of one of Jupiter's moons. And so they're transported there to this like perfect bubble. They live inside of it. Everything is accounted for. Like they have all the supplies they could ever need. Uh, it all works. You know, they don't know exactly how it works, but it just works. And they call themselves New Roanoke, and they're discovered by a team on the, I believe it's the SS Delaney, who is part Caltech, part MIT graduates going out there. And they're, you know, it's like a couple years in the future, not too far in the future. But so they're going out there to explore just in general, they're exploring space, they're on a cryo ship. And um, yeah, they happen to see this thing on the moon, it's a settlement, and they get there. And basically all hell breaks loose because the people who are there, they're quite happy. They've escaped the problems of Earth, and um, they're totally fine just turning a blind eye towards the things that they don't understand, uh, hence the name Invisible Things. And there's a lot of allegory here. And one of the things about allegory, I remember my good friend uh, wrote her thesis about this in undergrad, uh, her final uh, English major thesis about how the uh, allegorical novel is dead. And I think part of the reason, I mean, I, I didn't read the thesis, so first of all, my apologies for that. But I think part of the reason people f- might feel that way is because, you know, um, it can feel a bit on the nose. And so with this novel, you're going to read it and think a lot of times, like, oh my God, I see, I, okay, I know what he's going for. But I think there's also enough mystery here and he leaves it open-ended enough in the end that um, basically when you finally, when we start talking about those invisible things, he leaves it open to interpretation. So I think there's enough wiggle room there that like it does a good job of uh, satirizing and criticizing modern American culture. It's really not world culture, 
but modern American culture, and then also leaving you enough, leaving the reader enough room to draw their own conclusions. Um, so yeah, I mean, whatever, like I said, there'll be spoilers. Here's, here's the spoiler alert. In the end, the invisible things not really revealed to you, you know? I mean, you're led up to the, to the, the edge of the river and then, you know, it depends on what you think of the water. Um, does that analogy work? Anyway. So, uh, yeah, so I'm just going to point out a few things that I thought were interesting about the novel. And, um, yeah, and this year where I'm doing a, I've got a, a pretty busy year ahead of me. I'm only doing fiction for a year. So, you know, with nonfiction books, there's a lot to, I think, dissect and just talk about because it, it relates to so many different things. This book is nice in that way too, even though it's fiction, it relates to so much current political stuff. Um, I'm not a person who wants to shy away from uh, current political stuff whatsoever, but I'm also not a person who wants to belabor points that I think we all get. So I'll probably be skipping over some of those things, but I'll comment on some of them. Some of them. Uh, all right. So just a, a random note. So the beginning of the novel starts out, and like I mentioned, the SS Delaney is comprised of um, Caltech grads and MIT grads, and there's a whole little thing about it. And in a way, I was thinking this novel, it's not an allegory for a university novel. It's not an allegory for university at all. But because Matt Johnson is a professor, and I think in the Pomona, you know, out where I grew up, uh, Caltech was in the same league as the University of Redlands, and I grew up there. Um, but anyway, because he's a professor, I think there's a little bit of the campus life in this novel. And so we get that in the form of the Caltech versus MIT rivalry. And we also get it in the form of um, one of the main characters is constantly referencing her sociological theories. And so uh, Nalini, Nalini is constantly referencing her so, so, uh, sociological theories. And so there is still the academia angle to this, which I find a lot of writing professors, you know, because they're involved in campus life. I think we get a lot of that with writing professors, but I was worried at first because I was like, okay, we're going to get like a full on, like kind of like a, a campus novel that's off campus. And I guess in a bubble in the moons of Europa, you could kind of, excuse me, in moons of Jupiter, I, think, I believe the name of the moon is called Europa. Um, you can make an argument that that kind of insular environment is similar to a campus novel. So that's a possible allegory that I don't think Matt Johnson intended, but you know, you never know. Um, it's possible. Okay. Uh, a side note. A side note, another minor note is somewhere in the beginning of the book, in the first, you know, very beginning of the book, he was talking about how, you know, Nalini, Dwayne, and uh, the Bobs, the Bobs are the MIT people. So it's Nalini and Dwayne versus the Bobs. And then there's a middleman named uh, Ahmed who doesn't want to get involved, really, but he goes along with the Bobs. And he's obviously a stand in for a lot of, a lot of people uh, in, in the current political milieu. But um, he, writes, uh, after 8.58 months trapped inside a space can with him, Nalini often wanted to reach into Duane's ever-open mouth and hold his larynx still with her bare hands till all the pious protestations stopped. The 8.58 months here is what I'm talking about. I just think that's the kind of dork writer thing that uh, writers love to do. And I bet Matt Johnson, I mean, I don't know Matt Johnson personally, but I assume that he really enjoyed calculating that. I could see sitting down at your desk, you know, and then like, you're kind of spending too much time doing it. Like, you know, you should move on and do something else. Like I've got actual writing to get done, but at the same time, exactly how many months have they been on this? I could just say eight months. Oh, let me, let me bust out and get, you know, and then you just spend way too much time figuring out that, oh, in fact, it's actually 8.58. 
And then the funniest part being that it's super satisfying when you do. So, um, yeah, so there's that. And then I think we come to our first real allegory thing here. So Nalini and Dwayne are both black. Well, Dwayne's definitely black. I can't remember if Nalini is, if we, if it's explicitly said she's black or if I just assume she's black, but I think they're both black and they are fighting against the Bobs who are both white. And so we have that kind of power dynamic on top of everything else. There's the MIT Caltech, you know, we're better, they're worse, or uh, we're in charge here because the Bobs have all the funding. Not because they went to MIT, but just because they're the money part of this thing. But then you also have the black versus white thing. Ahmed is brown, but he's not uh, not American black. Uh, might have been might have been Indian. I can't, I can't remember. Don't know if it's like explicitly stated once again. But so that's the first allegory that we get here is this, and you know, is that an allegory or is it just like actually, you know, what's ha- what's happening? So yeah, probably not an allegory, but like that's the first um the thing that's going on here is that we're just seeing the black versus white thing, which um, is certainly a reality in America, certainly a reality in academia, and uh, certainly a re- reality in the professional world. And you can extrapolate it out from America too. Nobody else, no other country is doing it perfectly. So we get that. And then when they land, it kind of goes away. So like once they get to the moons, it's not really pointed out that there's like this huge race thing on the moon. And, um, Bob ingratiates himself into society and becomes a worm who will do basically do or say anything to get ahead. And that's, that's really the allegorical part, right? Like he's, he kind of represents for me, the people who are empowering certain horrible parts of the right. You know, if we're going with the 10, 80, 10 thing, he's somewhere in the 80 and, uh, he doesn't care which side is, which 10 he goes with, but if that 10 helps drive things forward, he'll do it. Um, so yeah, like the founders, you know, I don't know in that theory if the founders really count as the 10 because they're kind of, kind of quiet. So the founders are the people who have been in new Roanoke from like the jump and, um, they, they're actually like, were born on the moon, you know? And then the other people arrive and then they're told that like, Oh, this is an amazing place. And like, we basically have been provided for by God. And then so, you know, some of them go with it and thrive and some of them don't go with it and they do worse. And Bob lands and immediately he's like, founders are thriving. I see it. That's where we go. And the race thing doesn't really come back in, I'd say, until much later. So I think there's a good middle chunk of the novel that really doesn't address the race thing whatsoever. And then towards the end, when... Dwayne has kind of rebounded and started a grassroots movement, um, the party of the people. Then we start to see with protests and police brutality, uh, some of the, you know, horrible shit we see in America on like a sometimes day to day, sometimes hour to hour, sometimes month to month, sometimes week to week basis. But I don't think that was Matt Johnson's point. And so, yeah, I don't think it was in there or taken out of there because of, um, like he doesn't want to talk about it. The man's written books called, you know, Incognito. I don't think he's got any issue talking about race. I think he was striving to really talk about the political thing, you know, the, the, the political thing and also the sociological stuff that Nalini's like constantly outlining. And the, the larger point of this was that there's the haves and the have nots and that there are people who are happy to just get along and go along 
and they will ignore the thing that's right in front of them. And actually that's most of us. Most of us are just ignoring the thing that's right in front of us. Because at the end of the day, although the people, the party people are slightly more willing to talk about invisible things, they're still scared of them. The founders don't want to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it. And, um, Dwayne ends up being the catalyst for talking about it and the catalyst for change. But at first he doesn't want to talk about it either. He definitely wants to talk about the fact that there's something amiss, but he's still not ready to, to jump, um, feet first into the fire. So I think the two important things about that are one, it's bigger than just race. It's not that race isn't, you know, the number one problem in America and that it helps drive all of the inequities of capitalism and everything else we see and have seen in America and Western society for the last 600 years. But it's that even holding for race, you would still have inequities because you would still have the haves and the have nots. So race-based capitalism is horrible, but if you could somehow replace it with a different capitalism, it wouldn't suddenly become benevolent uh, unless you adjust it. And the point being that the way our system is set up now, it's set up so that somebody's got to be at the bottom. Uh, at least that's our system. And then you look at the moon system, <laughs> new Roanoke system, and you would hope that it wouldn't be that way. But eventually Nalini and Duane undercover that underbelly and realize like, oh, it's the exact same. So I, I think what, you know, Mr. Johnson was trying to do there was point out that like there is something rotten here in the structure and yes race is a part of it and also this is a part of it and this is a part of it and this is a part of it and the haves and the have-nots uh they can be separated by race and were originally were separated by race but as time goes on we might get over that you know maybe maybe not maybe we'll maybe some of the sci-fi stuff we see is true and we'll get like into the future and the, the eventual beiging of society the browning of society because of all of the uh, interracial relationships, maybe that will lead to like less race focused stuff. Probably not, but you know, whatever, if you want to go with that wishful thinking, okay, fine. Or if you believe that like, we'll actually be able to fight for that change and overcome it, that's fine too. But even after we fight for that, we still got to fight for the, the concept of, especially in America, the have and the have nots and balancing that. And that's just not what um, is happening in New Roanoke. So I think that was part of the, uh, the goal with that. And then I thought the other, the other aspect of it that was, was important, uh, was that, um, Bob and people like Bob, you know, there's several different people in the novel who are like this, who are just opportunists. So, you know, Ahmed is an opportunist. Bob is an opportunist. Chase, who, um, he is not a side character, but like, it's not central to the story, but very much an opportunist. I thought that you know, Matt Johnson wanted to point out that all of these people are complicit, but also everybody else as well. And that's like, that's why it's a problem, you know, that Nalini doesn't talk out sooner about invisible things or that anybody in the novel who doesn't talk about it, which is everybody, you know, or they whisper, you know, that they're all complicit. And I, I think that's like a really big deal and a very good point because we can all be happy that we buy our recycled products, drive our electric cars or whatever, but you're still complicit, you know? And so it's nice donating to charities and volunteering and, um, whatever stuff you do. And from whatever, you know, side of whichever political spectrum you're on, it's all nice. 
But I, I think that part of what Matt Johnson's trying to get across here is like, you got to recognize that you're complicit about this stuff. You know, you're complicit in this thing. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I could be overreading, not overreading it, certainly, because the whole point of this book is that it's an allegory. But I thought that was, you know, part of his message there. Um, yeah, but I, I could be misreading it. And then so just uh, two more things about this, these kinds of people who will get along and go along. Because um, they're different types, right? So if we just look at kind of like four different types really quick who are in this novel. You have Nalini who's sitting there and she's part of the system, you know, and so is Dwayne too. But let's just focus with Nalini. And Nalini's part of the system and always has been. She, um, you know, went to Caltech and, and now she's a sociologist. And she's really, you know, removed at first and not wanting to get involved, you know. So she's still complicit. And the thing is, she is educated. She came off the Delaney. So, of course, she's not going to get treated as bad as the people who have to live in the cavern, right? So, there's these people. That's the actual underbelly, the subaltern, like, the actual people who are at the bottom of society, the ones we never see. Um, and in, in, in the novel, they're somewhat invisible, too. We don't actually talk to any of them, you know? We don't actually talk to any of them. And I thought that was part of that, part of uh, Mr. Johnson's idea as well. So, she's one type, right? That's That's one type of person who's from a underprivileged or a persecuted um, group, right? doesn't have to be black, it could be any group, but benefits by being, you know, either educated or flat out lucky. Um, you know, what, my ears are burning. Okay. But anyway, yeah, it's great to acknowledge that you're lucky, but at the same time, you know, are you advocating and fighting for change? Um, so you might be an, you might be a Nalini. I, I'm a Nalini, right? So then you have, um, and what to do about it, of course. Then you have Ahmed, who's just in complete denial, and so will say things like, you know, well, the Bobs aren't so bad, or the founders aren't so bad. Whoever's in power isn't so bad. It's not so bad. And uh, I, I've uttered that sentence before, so I'm an Ahmed. Um, and then a third type of guy is Chase, who gets offered a great deal. So once he gets to New Roanoke, and we won't get into his whole deal, but basically he was looking for his wife. She got abducted. He didn't know she got abducted. Nobody on earth knows this place exists. They just, people went missing and nobody cared about them because most of the people who got abducted were like pretty average folks, which, you know, harsh judgment, but that's, they didn't abduct people that would be noticeable. So she goes missing and then whatever, somehow they're magically reunited. He happens to get on this ship. It's very, um, very lucky, you know? And so he ends up getting a sweet deal to kind of be part of the founding party, the, the, you know, the party in charge. And, um, so he becomes an opportunist, but he's not really that kind of opportunist. It's just that he falls backwards into a good thing. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll go along with it. Now it's different than Ahmed. Ahmed's more enterprising, right? And he like actually understands if I just go with the status quo, it's a good idea. Chase is not enterprising. He's not a, he's not a schemer. Um, he just, you know, fell into a good deal and kind of had to be convinced that uh, he should take it. But he wasn't like actively saying like, you know, he, he has his loyalty, he has his own moral compass, but he's not strong enough to adhere to that moral compass. And then you have Bob. And I want to read this quote that Matt Johnson wrote in light of a, it's not a quote that he wrote, it's a passage from his book that he wrote, but I want to read it in light of the Kanye, the recent Kanye comments. Um, you know, first of all, I have to say that people haven't been fucking with Kanye for like several years now. And I saw that today he tweeted out that anti-Semitic thing and Sarah Silverman said, why aren't people denouncing Kanye more? I mean, yes, what he tweeted out was abhorrent, but he's been denounced. Like, I don't, I don't know how much more he could be denounced by 
a good section of the black community and anybody else who hasn't denounced him, well, that's whatever he tweets out isn't going to change. But anyway, the quote that um, I want to read here, pretty short, uh, it's about Bob. He says, by overcompensating in displays of fealty to a powerful tribe, it was possible to overcome the fact that this tribe was formed around rejecting people exactly like you. So I feel like this is Kanye. Um, this is the other grifters in the in the new right who uh, who you know have black skin and um, what is what, let's what's let's use the fan and black skin and white masks, um, but. Yeah, or they might even just have white skin and black masks. Who knows? They, they're so confusing, but it's not confusing. And, and and Johnson nails it here. There's nothing confusing about it. You overcompensate. You go 10 steps further than like, you know, a, uh, a person from the tribe would go. And in doing so, they go, oh, man, this guy's great. And they lift you up. And, you know, it. they'll, with, with, with yay, I don't even want to call him yay anymore, that term of endearment. Uh, with Ye, they, they'll kick, you know, they used him for the interview. He used them as well with, um, that dork off of Fox news. And, uh, I just don't want to say any of these people's names. And then, so now that he's said this insane thing about Jewish people, they're not going to come and defend him or they, they don't have to, you know? So he's done his job. And if he does anything crazy, they'll just bury it under more stuff and, and keep going. And that's kind of what Bob fits in. Although Bob really, he... He really sticks until the end. You know, Bob doesn't want to get off the ship. So we'll see what happens with Ye. But this is just a good example of one, um, Matt Johnson's ability to like capture the moment. And two, uh, the spot on nature of this stuff. You know, like we see it so often with so many different bad actors. And I mean, they're actually great actors, but like just bad people who are um, selling Selling away whatever you want to call it, their heritage, their ancestry, their their fucking sanity, just to be part of the in-group. And um, they know if they go a little bit further, even if they believe some of the junk they're spewing, they know they can make it even better if they spew it a little bit worse than everybody else. And all it takes is a pat on the back from the in-group or, you know, there's many different types of encouragement and motivation for this stuff, but... Yeah, so that's in here. And then um, the last thing is, I think it, it puts a bow on this entire novel and really gets at what I thought was the best part of the allegory. And it's on page 249, so we're almost at the the dead end of the book. And um, I think it sums up that part I'm talking about with complicity. And it is, well, let's just read it. The patriots who don't have to scream in the streets because they are extraordinarily comfortable. Comfort is underrated. A comfortable citizen is an appreciative one. It means they're happy with the way things are not taking. Uh, it means they're happy with the way things are. Not taking our blessings for granted. That sums everything up. I mean, that's exactly the point, you know. And if you look at any kind of movement from America over the last 20 years... 40 years or 100 years, it's always done by the people who are uncomfortable, you know, and that's why most of the time it is black people um, or most of the big changes like, you know, the civil rights. Of course, there's other civil rights things. So maybe I shouldn't say most of the big changes, but I'll just use black people because that's the one I'm familiar with. How about that? When you are 
as Malcolm X put it, when you got a knife nine inches in your back and you pull it out six inches or three or two or one or seven, you, you would like to have the other two inches pulled back out. You know, you still feel in that discomfort. And if you're not uncomfortable, if you can I like to say, if you can sit on the couch and watch football and have your potato chips, whatever, be able to drive down to the market and get your block of cheese or whatever it is you want, you know, your 47 varieties of peanut butter, some craft beers, go to the, your suburban chocolatier, um, the hip little coffee roaster you got. If you can do all that, if you have your creature comforts, you're going to be good. And that's why we're all complicit. That's the point. You know, it's, it's all nice and well to rail on the people who we absolutely disagree with politically, but a lot of us are super comfortable and that's why you see things like, um, that's why you, you can look at protest movements and see the difference in who they're led by. They're led by the comfortable and the complacent or are they not? And that's also why, um, and everybody knows this, but when you're running a government, um, if you can keep your citizens placated, well, and a, a good number of them, you're never going to get to that, uh, that revolution we keep hearing about. And the thing is, um, the way the efficiency of America is right now, you're able to keep a good number of people complacent, even the ones who are pissed off, you know, to really radically change things like on a global scale, or even just to radically change them on like a whole country scale so that the actual have-nots would be taken care of, that would have to mean that um, you'd really have to get outside that comfort zone. And who the hell wants to do that? The novel ends with, uh, like I said, the, the revealing of the invisible things, or at least the acknowledgement that they're real. And it's open to interpretation of what they are. Matt Johnson does a thing where he talks about how it is way worse than you could imagine, but it was right in front of you the whole time. That's kind of the whole point. It was right in front of us the whole time. And uh, yeah, I leave it to you, my fellow reader, to figure out what it was. I have my theories. So I don't know. Without getting specific about it, I think it's just the, the general idea that we all know that there's something wrong and we keep ignoring it. Uh, I don't think invisible things refers to any one thing. I think that's why it's plural. It's called invisible things. At the end of the novel, it's personified as being a single thing. But I think the allegory is about it being not just a single thing. At least that's what I took away from it. But like I said, I think Mr. Johnson does a job of leaving it open to interpretation. So, um, yeah, I don't think there's any one right answer, but I do think that it's, it's very true that we are ignoring stuff that's right in front of us. 27 minutes. I knew that, see, I told you there's a lot of meat on the bone with this novel, but, um, not too long. And I, I really enjoyed this. It was my first Matt Johnson book. I'd been meaning to read several of his books. So I'll be coming back to this. I thought it was great. Really liked it. And yeah, would, would definitely recommend it. And I think the allegory works and I thought it was funny and just generally entertaining. You know, I didn't, it wasn't a slog as things can be. Uh, I will be back in two weeks. I don't even know what I'm going to read. I'm kind of just scrolling through stuff. I've, I have a Toni Morrison book on my shelf, Toni Morrison, A Mercy, that I've been meaning to read. So that might be it. I might be back in two weeks with that. And then other than that, the other choice would be um, Son of the Storm, Son of the Storm. 
and and I have another one too. But it, those two, it would be one of those two in two weeks. And yeah, it'll continue to be fiction. You know, I gotta have something light to read on the subway. Take a break from my other reading. So please subscribe, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. YouTube definitely stuff is up on YouTube now, so you can watch this on YouTube or listen to it on YouTube while you're while you're cooking. The music is by the Keep Running. He's on SoundCloud and Instagram, so you can follow him. Uh, check the show notes for a link to Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Check out my writing and my website. And yeah, that's gonna do it. So until next time, stay safe, stay black and keep reading. Ha, 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 ha.